everyone, and welcome to Minute 69 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is John from the Dirty Harry Minute. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Rob, for having me yet again. So, Episode 69 begins with John continuing to get annoyed with Marvin and ends <laughs> with Barnes seeking an answer. So we ended things yesterday with John uh, going down to the basement, finding Marvin, and saying to Marvin, you got to help me get to the pilot's briefing room. And Marvin started looking through his filing system, and John's getting a little antsy because he really wants to get there to hear what they have to say in this very important meeting in the possibly non-existent uh, pilot's briefing room. And <laughs> so the, the minute begins with, with John going, Marvin... And then Marvin goes, or maybe it'll be under M for miscellaneous. And, you know, he's, he's dealing with the system. And then we hear some, some beeping. And then Marvin goes, oh, shit. And then we see him unroll the, like a thing of, of blueprints. And, you know, we see that we, we can still hear the sound of something, you know, happening underneath. And then we hear Garber on the radio saying, this is Garber. Request permission to reduce sentry duty to 30-minute rotation. My men are getting cold. They're getting antsy. Over. And then we hear the response. This is Colonel Stewart. Garber, please have the men not on watch. Assemble for a briefing. Over. And then Garber answers, Roger, Colonel. Over and out. And, I mean, they do a great job of, of showing us John's face during this whole thing. You know, he is completely in shock that they were actually able to find a um, a radio that that you can listen in to what's going on you know so it, i think it's great how that how that happens but I, I have a few questions about the the different things that are said here you know on the one hand you know we hear what garber's asking for he's asking you know the first of all as we pointed out numerous times over the course of this week also there is only a total of seven of them so far you know, that are left a lot. Okay, five are dead. <laughs> you have Cochran who died and the four, you know, painters. And they were a total of 12. So they're down to seven. And now he, you know, take away Garber and take away uh, Stewart. So you only have five guys in this rotation of, of uh, you know, of, of giving, uh, of, of doing guard duty. So, you know, half hour on, two hours off, it still works. You know, for the whole thing, but but on the other hand, it's just very funny that they're doing this in such a formal way. Hmm. You know, as opposed to Garber just deciding to to do it. You know, my men are getting cold and they're getting antsy. What are they getting antsy about? <laughs> about standing up, you know, standing at the door or standing at the bell tower or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, what, what do you think? What do you... Well, I mean, the formality, the the military or ex-military. So, I mean, that that never leaves you. Um, I'm from sunny, warm Australia, so I don't know what it's like in these blistering, uh, cold environments. Maybe half an hour is a long time. I don't know. Or they're just being a bit, a bit uh, juvenile. I don't know. No, I don't, know question, I don't know if it's a question of being juvenile. First of all, a half hour of guard duty is not – it's something that, that usually, you know, passes very quickly. You know, so yeah. that – but and it, ta it takes more time to do the actual rotation than anything else which is uh which is interesting 
you know, freezing the fact out that... here. I'm seeing I'm seeing icicles. <laughs> that could be right. yeah, um, Chekhov's icicles. But yeah, what's it like in those cold those cold wintry months in uh, the northeastern corridor of America? Are they that are they that bad? I mean, planes and automobiles seem to show it was very cold, and that was even in the, the sort of midwesty part. And, wasn't and it? that was also in November. You know, we, oh, didn't that, even, yeah, of we didn't we didn't even get to, to December at that point. You know, they're they're, they're in Chicago where they're showing you all the the coldness of, of the whole thing. But but yeah, I mean it's it's just very strange. The the I, I it's it's there because they want us to be able to hear them chatting about something. But then the other precisely thing, right. Yeah. Then the the other thing that gets me about it though is that Stewart says you know have have the men not on watch assemble for a briefing. So if they're a total of five guys, okay, and let's say they only have one guy on guard, so he's basically saying get the other four guys in here for a briefing. You know, it's it it it's not as if he's asking for for a hundred guys to show up. Yeah, well, that's a good point. He's it, we're soon going to cross to the the church and have the sort of ideology sermon that's cut short by um, events that are to follow. But um, yeah, right, well, we'll we'll get we'll get there in a little a little bit later in this minute, but still. It's just very strange. Well, like you said, they have to put something there. Um, they could be, I don't know, something that's readily identified, rolling out the names. So we hear Colonel Stewart or Garber. So here's these names. And as the audience, we're, we're supposed to look and notice the obvious product placement. Kenwood, I think, is like the third or fourth, fourth time there's a, a Kenwood device in this movie. So I'm sure that's what they're really thinking just as long as we concentrate on the visual of this kenwood uh walkie-talkie yeah i mean the same the same walkie-talkie that we've seen before you know so yeah so yeah. and telford's device was one as well yeah and i think also dennis Frant uh carmine had one as well anyway it pops up a few times in this movie i did notice <laughs> right so yeah it's just a little strange that uh, the way that they they do that there but, it yeah. is a little bit, but what what else could they put? They definitely want to hear the name Colonel and um, or something, right? So that, no, they they want to have Garber and Colonel and and the, the Colonel Stewart there, so that you know not just John but also the audience can hear who who it is that they're they're listening to. Yeah. You know, it's also pretty funny that's, that they're identifying themselves as opposed to using code names. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, the army, the army legacy of being the army. Just never leaves you. That's true, but but again, throughout the the rest of this movie, you know, where they say, you know, this is buckwheat. We're in the club. The clubhouse is open. You know, things like that. You use, you use code names, yeah, and and next yeah, week, point. next week we're gonna have you know falcon and and uh, eagle's nest and hatchling and stuff like that. So, like you'd think that they would have done that here also, as opposed to yeah. being so blatant. Unless unless they have that much hubris. That as far as they're concerned, there's no way that anyone's going to be able to crack it here. So let's just uh, use our real names. Yeah, good point. You know, so that, that that that's what I found a little strange the way that they uh, they do that there. I I actually wanted to back up a second. You know, when when Marvin is talking and he says M for miscellaneous. Okay, do do you know like first of all the definition of miscellaneous or the, you know the origin of the word miscellaneous? What what would you think? Well, I'm assuming it's either Greek or Latin. Um, I know the general meaning, I suppose, just means things of a different type that probably things that you can't easily categorize under other categories, I guess. As to its actual, yeah, you tell me. It's probably a 
I'd say Roman word, a Latin word. Okay, well, first of all, it's it's uh, what it means is items or people gathered or consi considered together of various types or or from different sources. Okay, sources, yeah, right. Meaning that that there's there's very little connection between all of them. Okay, it is actually it comes from the Latin, which means to mix or mm. something that's mixed up, and then. Uh, you know, in the early 17th century, they added it to, to English by adding the O-U-S, you know, by saying that, that it's, uh, you know, someone who, who sometimes it means having various qualities and things like that. But but nowadays, it basically just means, it's basically the junk, junk drawer. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay, we don't know where to put this, so we're going to just put everything together. Hmm. You know, things that are usually not connected and things like that. So, no, I just find it very funny that that's the, the word that, you know, you have such a long and garbled word to basically say hodgepodge, everything that's going on. <laughs> it should be a shorter and sweet and uh, short and sweeter word, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary and the definition of it in Urban Dictionary is something that doesn't fit into any category. <laughs> it's... Uh, just interesting that you know you, first of all you wouldn't necessarily think that marvin would use such a high level word i think that's also mm. part of it um have you spoken at length about marvin in previous minutes when no, we not were at first all. introduced not, him no we, we spoke a little bit about him when we when we encountered him in his little uh, apartment but not not so much what what would you like to say about marvin well i said he's or about tom like, bauer he's trying <laughs> tom bauer he sort of reminds me of a cross between, like he's trying to do a bit Jack Nicholson sometimes, or his delivery in later minutes reminds me of Jack Nicholson. Mixed I mean, like when he guy. says, "I'll be damned, I'll be damned if I'm going to clean this, 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 this up." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that line in particular. Um, also, have you seen the Untouchables? Yeah, of course. The, you know the yeah, sure. you know the bookie that they the bookie that gets spoiler. Of the course, bookie that gets murdered in the elevator. It sort of reminds me of that character, that they've, the bookie, uh, the book, not the book. You know, the guy they find on the Canadian no, the guy, border, and yeah, the guy they get yeah. on the Canadian border and then uh, pretend yeah. to to shoot someone else at the same time. That's right. Yeah, Chicago methods. Anyway, he ends up dying in the, doesn't he? He ends up being shot in the elevator, and yeah, but and, that, but that's not him, though. No, that's not Tom Bauer. No, no, it reminds me of he. This guy here, Marvin, reminds me of cross of whoever that actor is in The Untouchables with Jack Nicholson. That's all I was suggesting. Ah, uh, okay. But um, yeah, and I just yeah, I wonder in the late eighties, are we supposed to think he's just a bit of a, a kooky crackpot, Marvin? You're talking about or... Brad Brad Sullivan. That's who you're talking Brad about. Brad Sullivan. This yeah. guy, Marvin. Yeah. Are we supposed to think he's sort of like the the homeless janitor or something that's living? In the yeah. bowels of the airport, yeah, yeah he's a weirdo. Yeah, that, yeah, that's who he is. Hmm. You know. Yeah. So I don't know. Now I have another question. Okay, so so John starts hearing the beeping on the radio, and hmm. you know we've we've established basically we're about to establish where Marvin got this radio. But but so let's say Marvin has this radio only ten minutes. Okay. He would have heard people talking on it before. 
you know, it does have the code punched in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he wouldn't know that there's some connection to what's going on. Like, why wouldn't he already offer it to John as soon as he would see him and say, hey, look, look what I found. I found, you know, this walkie-talkie and, and these guys that you're dealing with uh, are talking on it or something to that effect. But Rob... He's obsessed with the coat. He may have a new coat to see out the winter months down there. And he's just too busy fingering, sorry, the holes through the, the coat or the, the trench coat, whatever it is. Mm, okay. He's All right, that is fair. forgot himself. That is fair. Mm. I, will, I will give you that one. You, you got me on that one. And <laughs> did, you also, did you also notice that the way that, the, that Stuart responds to Garber, he doesn't even give him an answer about changing the sentry duty? Oh, yeah, I guess he doesn't. You know, he, he yeah. says, my men are getting cold and they're getting antsy over. And then the response from Stewart is, this is Colonel Stewart. Garber, please have the men uh, not on watch assemble for a briefing. Over. You know, it's like, hmm. I'm not even going to. He's basically saying that's a very stupid request and there's no way I'm going to approve it. So in order for you to save faith, I'm just going to ignore the fact that you asked it. <laughs> is, that, is that not possible? I think that's a good reading of what happened, yeah. I, th I think that makes sense. <laughs> and then the, 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 the shot changes a little bit, and then we see Stuart at the church, you know, in the on the on at the podium, and it looks like he's about to give a sermon. Yeah. And he begins talking, and he goes, Gentlemen, tonight the pattern ends. The dominoes will fall no more, and the ramparts will remain upright. <laughs> And that's all he gets to say before he's interrupted by, by Thompson, who goes, sir, General Esperanza's plane just came on the scope. And that's it. You know, he's able to he's able to get two sentences in to try to encourage his men that, that are already there because they know they're getting paid. You know, he doesn't really need to find a way to um, convince them, you know, to, to, to join in. They've already joined in. They're already part of all this. I know. I know you don't talk ideology while you're on the mission. You just talk about the mission. That's right. But that's right. It's a bit more of a. Well, it's not really an exposition dump for us, is it? Because we already know this. But um, just to add a bit of more gravitas to. I don't know. Yeah. To show, look, this <laughs> this isn't Hans Gruber. These aren't fake terror terrorists, mercenaries. These are actual real, uh, political, to politically activated um, terrorists. Anyway. Yes. Correct. Okay, so he mentions dominoes. Now, what do you know about dominoes, John? I know it's a game. I know like most board games, like chess and stuff, it's probably from the Far East or China or India or something. I know it's a nice, quaint game to play with in your childhood, <laughs> but that's about it. Okay. So first Tell of all, the, the game of dominoes, so it's a, a uh, tile-based game that's played with gaming pieces that are sometimes known as pieces, bones, rocks, stones, men, cards, or sometimes they just refer to them as dominoes. Um, and each of them have combinations of spot counts between zero and six. And uh, you, have, you have, it's doubled on each of it. You have different sides. You know, on, on one side, you know, it's, it's split down the middle. So on, on the right-hand side, it'll have, you know, uh, zero to six. And on the left-hand side, it'll have zero to six. And that's basically 
you know, how you know how to play the game. We're not, we're not going to talk about how to actually play the game itself, but it's similar to a card game or dice or something like that, where, you know, you always have the same numbers that are there. It's just a question of the order that you get them and how you play them. So the, the earliest mention of the game, of, of the game dominoes uh, came from the 13th century in China. So you were correct about that. And then for some strange reason in Italy in the 18th century, there, there, they had another game called Dominoes that, that came up, which is slightly different than Chinese Dominoes. And nobody really knows if this was something that was uh, thought of independently or it's because, you know, Italian missionaries who were in China uh, learned how to play it in China. And then somehow when they got to Italy, you know, changed the game a little bit them, themselves. Do you, do you know why? Do you know what the word domino means and why it would be called domino? Any clue? Well, you've mentioned Italy there, and obviously, um, dom like domino, like domine, something religious, isn't it? Like something like savior or something. I don't know. I'm not religious at all. But dom, Dominique, Dominique, a dom, don, don, the best. But is it something to do with religion or something? Um, no, it's part of. The, they nope. would have. They used to have a, a carnival in uh, in Venice, and there's a specific uh, costume that uh, that people would wear, which was a black hooded robe with a white mask. What city did you say? Naples? No, uh, Venice. Ah, okay. Anyway, that was the name of a costume, was it, in um, in Venice? Yeah, they would have a carnival in Venice where they would, they would use it. I mean, it reminds me of like the idea of for V for, v for Vendetta. With Natalie Portman. All right. You know, that, that's what, that, mm-hmm. that's the way I see it, you know, with a white mask, you know, with a black hood or something like that. So obviously it's the, the combination of black and white together is what uh, makes makes it called the uh, dominoes. So the, the most interesting thing I've found about dominoes is that in the, in, in the state of Alabama, um, it was Alabama. actually illegal to play dominoes on Sunday. Okay. Uh, up until up until 2015, when they when they repealed that that uh, uh, that, that law, I just find it really weird because like why would someone make a law that you can't play dominoes on Sunday? You know, I understand the idea of the Sabbath and stuff like that, but why why dominoes? Maybe 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 you weren't able to play cards there either, or something like that. Maybe it's like the idea that you can't play any gambling games, and dominoes was included. I don't know. I hope it's I hope it's nothing to do. It's nothing so puerile as the fact that it's black and white. I hope that's not a race thing. Maybe it's no. I don't some... think so. You think well. You think right. in Alabama, even in Alabama, I don't think they were like that. Because then why would it be only on Sundays? They'd be like, okay, this is this is too racial, so you can't play it on Sundays. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you'll find if you di- if we d- dug a bit deeper, a lot of other board games were also not allowed on Sunday because it's the Sabbath. You know what I mean? The Christian Sabbath, whatever it's called. Maybe it wasn't just dominoes. Maybe it was whist and connect four and uh, tic tac toe as well. Who knows? Maybe it, dep- it depends on what color the tic tac toe game is. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't know. And and then he also mentions about the, the the ramparts, right? And he says the the ramparts will remain upright. Why, why do you think he would say that? Well, I know he's trying to use the the metaphor and containment during the Cold War about dominoes, right? Like first would be Vietnam and then Cambodia and then Malaysia. And I suppose he's just making, or do you mean specifically what a rampart is? I don't know. Is it a wall? What sort of military? Well, a rampart, a rampart is a wall. Is yes. 
it's it's a yep, yep. it's a wall where you keep watch from but i'm, I'm mm -hmm. trying to figure out the the connection here between you know him saying okay the pattern ends tonight what pa pattern you know the pattern of 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 america letting the dominoes fall you know all these different communist countries or or something like that and the ramparts i guess is is the wall that's trying to keep communism away i guess <laughs> and it will remain upright meaning yeah. that there's nothing that's going to be able to to make us uh fall down because of it i don't know it's just a very strange uh, explanation i guess you can say don't know well i don't know if yeah do, do we demand that our military leaders of great poets and proper uses of correct metaphors and stuff i don't know yeah like he's given here a, a political speech so i don't know i don't know what he's trying to to, to to gain from this i don't know from my brief knowledge i mean it it wasn't really until the early 2000s that the the red tide sort of happened in latin america wasn't it like um with chavez and stuff the late 90s and then that guy in bolivia and lula and brazil this is sort of a time in the early 90s still basically was a lot of center or right-wing governments so i don't know i'd be confused by that yeah no I don't, I don't know the answer to that one not really sure and i i also love the 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 way that they shoot the scene you know as, as we mentioned earlier we have basically just four guys that are supposed to be sitting there you know to listen to this grand speech but the room is very dark it's hard to count how many people are really there you have to look really really carefully and you can see i think three of them including uh, John Leguizamo, you know, but, uh, you know, mostly you can't really, unless maybe they have two guys on, on, on sentry duty at the time, which means that there is only three that are sitting there listening to this. I, I, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, a point, this pointless speech, because this speech really means nothing, you know, and, well, yeah, and it's preaching to the converted. And, that's right. Yeah. Preaching to the choir, as they say. And, you know, I, I, I there's a relief that, you know, Thompson interrupts him by saying that the plane is coming on the scope yeah maybe and... they're going for a bit of a bit of star wars gravitas like he's mon martha delivering you know some stirring speech like they're closing in on the x-wing and i don't know if it's it falls a bit flat with an audience of just four people correct and, um, yeah yeah no, no not really sure about that and then Stuart walks over to the phone, picks up the phone, and goes, Attention, Dulles Tower. We will be lighting up a runway. Do not, repeat, do not attempt to land any planes. Remember, monitoring you. And then Barnes looks over at Trudeau <laughs> and says, What do we do? And only tomorrow will we actually hear Trudeau's response to that. But, I mean, my whole question here is, why would he say don't attempt? How would they attempt? If, as, if as far as he's concerned, they have no communication with the planes because, you know, Seward and his men have no connection to the outer marker beacon. So they don't know that there's this beep, beep, beep sound going on. And, you know, he's saying we're monitoring yeah. you, but we're, apparently they're not monitoring them because they're able to talk on the outer the outer marker beacon. <laughs> so it's, it's just very funny. So why would they even assume that they found a way to talk to the planes? And where are they going to try to land the plane if they see a runway it's you know they would just say quickly okay go over to runway 115 or whatever it is you know get in there quickly before they turn off the lights i don't know it's mm -hmm. not going to help because the ils <laughs> the ils system is is completely you know off 
it's it yeah. still will tell any other plane coming in that they're 200 feet away from the ground, which which is something that will probably come up at the end of this movie about the fact that they never fixed the ILS system. So how are all those planes landing? But we we have a, yeah. we have a few months till we get there to talk about that. So yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a very strange way for for Stewart to to make this this threat, which he knows that he has no proof. As to what they're doing, as to whether you know we're supposed to well, let them out or not, I don't know. No, this clue. is almost a bit of this is almost a bit of a lift of Dirty Harry when you know when Scorpio's bouncing him around town from phone booth phone booth to phone booth, obviously like Die Hard with a Vengeance to come up, but he also says you know I'm monitoring you. You not all the time, but you'll never know when or where. So it's a bit of a Dirty Harry echo there. Right. Okay. Like you said. Yeah, they don't know. Yeah, I know. That's just very weird. I did want to say, for foreigners like me, um, Dulles always sounds too close to Dallas. I wonder how many times people have mis- mis- made made bad plans with relatives and like, I'll meet you in Dallas. Dallas? Dallas? Anyway, I'm sure that's <laughs> happened more than once. Yeah, um, probably. I think I said last minute that Bruce doesn't look good in, in, in coats, and those sort of coats make everyone look middle-aged i don't know if i brought that up um last minute or no. when he was with marvin but it doesn't do anyone any favors rob okay that's fair so it's a good thing that's that uh you know john is wearing barnes's his jacket nothing else <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so in the script it. it starts off by saying focus chain mclean stares at the table and 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 one of the scrambled transceivers one with a green led you know so like it's very different the whole thing there's isn't the whole conversation about miscellaneous or or, or his filing system mm-hmm. and things like that as we we talked a little bit about that yesterday how it was is it was very different and then it says in the church at night Stuart is is in the pulpit his men attentive so again he doesn't hear in the script uh, Garber and Stuart talking. And then Stuart actually has a much longer uh, diatribe here. So I will I will read it. We've put it out around the world over and over again. We dropped the Shah. Marcos, throw Noriega overboard. You know what they think around the globe? The worst thing that can happen to you is to have America as a friend. And now that Steinhead Gorbachev... He's got some nice English suits and a wife without gold teeth. So now the commies are nice. Gentlemen, we are soldiers, and we do not believe in fairy tales, sweet though they may seem. Well, tonight, the pattern ends. The dominoes will fall no more, and the ramparts will remain upright. So they basically cut out the first uh, three quarters of his speech. I guess they didn't want to offend anybody and decided to take all that out of it. But if you have the whole thing, it tells you what it is that he's really trying to say here. He's trying to say that, you know, he's he's looking at this from a very patriotic uh, aspect. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. think he's going against the patriotism of the U.S. by doing this. He feels this is part of patriotism for the U.S. to be able to help Esperanza. So Yeah, well, I suppose they've wisely jettisoned mentioning the Shah because then it then it becomes more just... it. it it detracts from the fact that, he, well, his mission now is about the red tide and communism and left-wing governments over the world. But if you bring the Shah into it, then it brings into the religion into it, I guess. So they just want to keep it a simple message for a 1990 audience. Yeah, you know, they're anti-America's isolationists, which allows you know leftist regimes to triumph around the world. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's true. And then, I mean, the rest of what Stuart says uh, is exactly word for word, except for instead of saying we are, 
lighting up a runway now. He says, I am lighting up a runway. Again, doesn't really make a difference. It's, uh, you know, very slightly. And then the, the description at the end of this minute is great. It says, and now like magic, one distant runway twinkles on. Almost immediately, the chatter from the sky picks up. Questions, demands, pleading. So, like, it, it shows that the, the planes up above, I and mean, we talked earlier this week, you know, were the planes able to see the plane crash? And, you know, we came to the conclusion that they probably couldn't. But if mm. they can see the, the runway lights, so I guess that means that they could see it. Because you'd think that the fire that's burning is slightly higher and, and yeah. more easily visible than, than the, uh, you know, than the runway lights. So I don't know. Not really sure. Yeah. All right. So every Thursday we have a segment called Aviation Thursday, where my guests will give their top five uh, movies about aviation, whether it could be planes or airports or, or, or a spacecraft or something like that, whatever they want. So, John, you have a, you have a, a top five for us. Start with your number five and work your way up. With pleasure. Well, number five, of course, I had to have an Eastwood film on the list, so I've chosen Sully, um, which I well, didn't he didn't, like quite he didn't a, start. Yeah. He didn't start it. <laughs> he directs it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I quite liked it. First one I heard when I first heard the movie was being made about it, I thought, yeah, it's a great story, but it can really sustain like an hour and a half film. It's sort of like a, a great article to read, but um, it was literally within the first 10 minutes of flight. So, but I, I appreciated how he, he played the different aspects that replayed it and so forth. Um, so yeah, Sully's number five, number four, I'd say the aviator. Have you seen that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like the history of it and the, the obsession of one man and, the, the effects I remember being quite good as well, so that was another good movie. Um, I found it to be a little long. You know, I felt oh, of I, course. It was something that feels drawn out. There, are, I mean, like I don't mind long movies as long as they don't feel as if they're being drawn out. And that one to me just felt too much that it was being drawn out. I only saw it at uh, the cinemas once, and then on home movie, you know, a year mm. or so later. But um, yeah, it's still I have a good memory of it. Maybe it is too long. I'll check it out again. Um, Number three is not a movie, but a episode of Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Maybe you know the one I'm about of to course. mention, Rob. The, you're, you're talking the about the, the pilot, the pilot, the pilot episode. Yeah. The mission, yeah? Is that the one yeah. we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Where he gets trapped with Kevin Gossard. Yeah. With, with Casey Sizemacow, or however his last name is pronounced. Yeah. And also Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland. I think. Is a young Anthony Lapalia in it? Maybe. Uh, it could be. From good old been Australia. Yeah, I'm not it's sure. Been, it's but been yeah, a while since I've seen it. It's a really good movie. It's sort of like a, um, a Roger Rabbit uh, meets uh, Memphis Bell type. Um, yes. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. a very good movie. Very good episode. Um, two, I'm going to be a basic beep and choose Con Air. <laughs> um, you know, the plane's not the best thing about the movie, but. Uh, it is certainly about it. But it, it takes place it takes place in the sky, so that's fine. It does. And number one, airplane. You know. Uh, great movie. Good on the Zuckerberg Zucker Brothers and Abrams for making that. Yeah. I still watch that, you know, once a year. There's a airplane minute, as you know, and it's just a hilarious movie that's uh that's, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. All right, very cool. 
So you want to once again tell people uh, where they can find JBAM? DirtyHarryMinute.com Best place to find us, um, DirtyHarryMinute.com Okay. That is very simple. And finding me is also very simple. All you have to do is a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on my website, MoveAroundMinute.com. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. So, uh, John, you feel like coming back again tomorrow to finish up this week? And maybe we'll see what happens, you know, with uh, this plane that's supposed to be uh, showing up? (laughs) You betcha. Of course. All right. Excellent. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay, mother. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and